Hello, my name is Claire and you are listening to the Hypno Birthing Podcast. Hello everybody and welcome back to the podcast. I hope everyone is doing good. I just want to start by saying thank you so much to everybody that listens because the podcast has just reached 1 million downloads, which is honestly so incredible. I am I'm a bit blown away. I, I mean, it's been going for two and a half years and you know, I know, I know that um there's many podcasts out there that reach that those kind of numbers within the first sort of couple of months or something but for a kind of one-man band you know I do it all on my own um I, I really am amazed that it's that it's been downloaded so many times and it has so many listeners from all over the world so I just wanted to start by saying thank you so much it really does mean such a lot to me and it makes all of the hard work that goes into making and editing and and scheduling and posting this podcast worth it to be honest um I mean it's worth it anyway because I get such lovely comments daily from people who benefit from the podcast but I just wanted to say a big big thank you to you so today's episode is a really special one I am welcoming back Sally Ann Beresford she came on um it must be 18 months two years ago now to talk to you all about the role of birth partners and I know that that is one of the most popular episodes that I have on here. So she's coming back on today because she's actually written another book, which sounds like it's going to be really, really good as well. It's basically about the five key elements that you need when you are planning a physiological birth. So she's come on to talk about them today. She's going to talk through all five and explain in a bit more detail about why Though you need those five things in order to achieve a physiological birth. And it was really lovely to talk to her. And I hope you find the episode helpful. And I hope you find the episode helpful. Hello, welcome Sally Ann. Thank you for coming back onto the podcast. I know that you've been on before, but could you reintroduce yourself to the listeners? Yes, thank you so much for having me, Claire. I'm so excited to be back on. I really enjoyed myself last time, which was a couple of years ago now. Um, So I'm Sally Ann Beresford. I'm a doula, I'm an author and an antenatal teacher. And I have just released my second book, which I'm really excited to share with you, which is called The Art of Giving Birth five key physiological principles. So it's all about having a a physiological birth and how to not just plan one, but succeed at having one. Because I found in the last few years specifically, so many people are really struggling with the way maternity services are being run. And they are going forward towards this wonderful planned physiological birth and actually not coming out the other side having a very positive experience so I really wanted to write a resource that would bridge the gap between what you learn on a standard antenatal education course which a lot of people are sort of you know buying these days um, and what you can actually do to help yourself to understand the what you're going into, what you're going to experience. So I wanted to bridge that gap. And these five key principles for me really summed up the way to succeed at achieving the birth of your dreams, which, you know, so many people are are really keen to have and yet are struggling with. Yeah, t- oh, totally. I agree. And also, so you're going to talk us through your your five um, 
sort of principles. Um, but just for anybody that um, has forgotten, but Sally Ann's um, previous book was about birth partners and uh, she came on and shared some of the really great insightful tips in that book on an episode before. And I have to say, loads of people always say how helpful your episode was before. It's definitely up there, I think, with a lot of people's favorite because it was very interesting. And also your book, I always recommend your book to people in my courses. And I always have to say, I'm not like, I'm not working on commission for her book. I promise, because the amount of times I say it to people, they must think, oh, you know, she's being uh, paid to say that. But I'm always like, I'm not, I'm not on commission. It's really good. Please buy it. Um, because I do think it was a very, very good book. So this one I'm excited about because if it's anything like the last one, I'm sure it's going to be filled with lots of really, really great advice for people. So take the lead, kick us off with your with your principles, talk us through them. Well, thank you for saying that about the first book, Labour of Love. Honestly, it has won an award since I last spoke to you. It's Amazing. often at the top of the bestseller charts on Amazon. So I, I'm really grateful for you pointing that out because it is a, a, a brilliant book. And I know a lot of people have really benefited from reading it. So, yeah, so this new book stems from me sitting down and really thinking about what is it, what are the, the the key things that people need to know in order to move forward with their birth and succeed at, at getting the birth that they want. And it was easy, actually, coming up with these principles. I'll start with the first one. The first one is to understand your hormones. And the reason for that is because, like I always say, if you don't get hormones, you won't get birth. And this really ties in with the hypnobirthing, doesn't it? So beautifully. Understanding how hormones work and without oxytocin, you can't have a vaginal birth. It's as simple as that. You won't have contractions. You won't dilate unless you're given it synthetically. So, you know, understanding how to produce oxytocin is essential, but there's so much more to it than that. There's so much more to it about understanding the other parts of the way that your hormones are produced and recognizing what you're like as a person, as a personality, understanding how to ensure that you know in advance of your labor, what might knock oxytocin out for you? Are you a control freak? Do you overthink and overplan everything? Are you really the kind of person that will be in labor and your brain will be so switched on that you need to use things like contraction apps and timers? Because those are clues to me. Those are clues that will help me as a doula, which, you know, as I do this on a daily basis and I attend births all the time, if I'm working with a client and I can see that about them, those are the things we need to work on in advance. Those are the things that we need to identify. How can we help you to work out how to get out of your head and into your body, allowing your body to do the work it needs to do to give birth to your baby? So, It's essential for me that you understand the role that hormones play and that you educate yourself about those those hormones and what you can do to make sure that you produce the right hormones at the right time. So, yeah, that was the first 
the first principle to me. And so few courses cover this in the right way. Attending a standard antenatal course isn't going to help you understand the role that hormones play. Of course, you're going to learn the words oxytocin and adrenaline. You're going to know that adrenaline squashes the production of oxytocin. But are you going to figure out how that relates to you and the birth that you're planning? So that was my first key principle. And I also went on to produce a journal to go with the book so that you can actually document these things, answer these questions, explore the things within you that might affect your hormone production. Um, so that that journal is, is a, a really useful guide to aid you to go through the chapters of the book to ensure that you do work out what you need to know in more detail and what you are already good at. Because some people might be brilliant at switching on their parasympathetic nervous system and shutting down and letting go of their day and letting go of their thoughts and others will really struggle. So that's really interesting because I was having a conversation with a client actually the other day who had come to me and said that she was struggling a bit with the the guided relaxations um, because she was just couldn't get out of her head when she was listening to them and did I have any any advice or anything like that? And I can relate to that because I'm quite similar. And I think sometimes a, a guided relaxation, as useful obviously as they are, I think sometimes when I'm being asked to do things, you know, I, I almost can't switch off because my brain's, you know, trying to think of the things that I need to be doing. So what I did actually when I was pregnant, I, I did used to listen to the guided relaxations because they are important. But one of the ways that I also sort of taught myself to relax and enter into that calm state was by just listening to like spa music and like really relaxing music and just laying in the bath and and listening to it and relaxing to that because sometimes I think some people they don't they can't switch off like you said it's not so easy to switch that part of your brain off and I I can definitely relate I'm like that and I found that kind of doing something different, slightly different, really helped me. So I gave her that piece of advice, which um, I think she was quite pleased with. But you're right. And you're right. You could, you, anyone can learn the word oxytocin and adrenaline and, you know, it gets thrown around a lot anyway. But what does it actually mean and how important actually is it? And how are you as an individual best able to help your chances of producing that oxytocin? And equally adrenaline I said I said the other day on a course that if you're excited then you're releasing adrenaline so you know sometimes it's you know so so common to be in labor or know that you're going into labor and be really super excited but all that's doing is producing you know adrenaline which is obviously not going to be as helpful so that sounds um yeah incredibly interesting and so helpful for people I think even someone telling you to relax can be really (laughs) hard to like you you can actually make somebody worse and more likely to be producing adrenaline if you're trying to you know instigate relaxation in a moment that they're not quite ready or they're not you know able to just get into that frame of mind so yeah I think I think to me that was the first one and I wanted it to be the first principle purely because that to me forms the basis of the remaining ones and that would be you know the easiest way to start so I moved on to the second principle which is to trust your instincts and 
I describe this as your best superpower because I think when you understand how to prepare your subconscious mind for the belief in your body's ability to give birth and rid yourself of of doubts, you can step into these instincts much more easily. And you have to have them. I mean, we all know that we've got them. And many of us will have said in the past, oh, you know, my gut was telling me this, but my head was telling me that. And it's up to you whether you choose to go with your gut or your head. But at least you know that something's a bit sort of off or a bit this or a bit that. And you can say, yeah, no, I definitely had a, a, gut, a feeling in my gut about that. And yet when it comes to pregnancy and growing a baby who we don't have to wake up every day and think, oh, I'm, I'm doing eyelashes today <laughs> or, oh, I'm doing fingernails tomorrow. Your body just gets on with the job of growing your baby all by itself without any thought or worry or concern from you. And everything you do, the way that you move, the way that you uncross your legs, if you feel like that's a bit uncomfortable now and you change position when you need to and you move over in bed, everything is instinctive. And the more that you can trust those instincts and the easier you can lean into them, the more you can guarantee you can succeed at achieving a physiological birth. Because without believing in your instincts and going with them, I think most of us would struggle because we we then start to listen to the the negative bias that comes up in so many areas of our lives. Our own negative bias that we have built in within us, which has helped us to survive as a species. We have that within us already. So that's already there somewhere. But then we have the external voices, the partner, the friends, the family, the doctor, the midwife. Everyone around us, the neighbor, the, the the person in the supermarket that comes out with these standard comments that, you know, they don't feel that they're doing anything wrong by saying. And yet it has a massive impact on our ability to believe that what's going on inside us and how our baby is doing and how we feel isn't the thing we should listen to. It, it, we should listen to external experts more than ourselves and so I really felt that this was a a very important key principle to learn how to trust your instincts and to learn how as mammals we've reached this point how we've got to the point where you know we are we we do so well if we just lean into our innate wisdom and if we shut that down actually we don't do well at all and yeah I, I guess you touched on it but what is it that makes people not not want to trust their instinct? It's that fear, isn't it? It's the fear of what they think could happen if they just trust their instinct rather than sort of trusting, in inverted commas, a medical professional. Just is that is that what you would say that it would be? It's that kind of outward fear that we that we are surrounded by and that we internalize yeah. as well. Yeah. And I mean, nothing greater than the last few years to have instilled some really deep seated fear Mm -hmm. into us about, you know, um, our our ability to mix and and walk around freely without masks, without shutting ourselves in our homes. You know, things have changed so much in the last few years. And I think that pregnant women and people particularly are still carrying quite a lot of that around with them. And, you know, going into a system that is 
on the news consistently saying how the NHS in England, you know, other countries would have different um, systems. But, you know, here Mm. we're hearing how it's a bit broken and it's not working well. And the ambulance service is on strike one minute and midwives are short staffed. And there's all of these things going on that are laying themselves down deep into women's subconscious minds. And it's understandable, isn't it, that we that we don't know how to just allow our bodies to get on with the job of growing our babies and then getting them out perfectly safely without any interventions or any interference. So we're coming from a very difficult starting place. I think that's one of the reasons why hypnobirthing is such an important skill for anyone who's having a baby to learn at this time, particularly because, you know, we need to rewire and reframe our thoughts that go into and come from our subconscious minds. Because without doing the work and without really recognizing how deep down they are, we can sabotage our own birth experiences on the day just by the wrong word coming up, the wrong thought coming out, the wrong comment being made that destroys our trust in our instincts, in our bodies, in our, you know, ability to give birth to our babies without support. So, yeah, I think fear is a massive issue. And I think that working on fear, uh, your own fear, your friend's fear, your family's fear, all of that, and learning to shut out the noise and to let go of a lot of people's deep-seated stuff that doesn't belong to us is important yeah because it's not always just us is it it's the people that we're close to and the people around us and you know parents and friends and they kind of sometimes put that onto onto you and you might be feeling really good about your choice about having a home birth but then you talk to talk to somebody else and oh maybe you know maybe maybe I'm being naive or or something like that it's um yeah it's a real tough one isn't it and it is a real skill to be able to to block those people out and have that absolute trust in yourself. But you're right. We do things every day that we don't have to tell our bodies to do it. You know, we, we just trust that, you know, our, our heart's going to beat and, and the blood's going to keep fl- flowing through our veins and things like that. And these are things that we, you know, happen every single day and we never, we never think about them. And I guess it's just that kind of, that part of having a baby, you know, the birth, that is actually like that, isn't it? That is, it's, you know, something that our body has, you know, complete control over. It's, you know, it knows what it's doing and it's just giving into that. Yeah. That narrative that there is in society about the fact that we're not able to do it and and trusting Mm -hmm. in the process, but yeah, it's definitely a, a a skill, but sounds, um, yeah, really helpful. What you, what you have to say about it. It's one of the reasons why I wrote the journal after I finished the book and the book was being um, edited and published. I spent a lot of time designing and developing the journal because I kept thinking to myself, where can people go with these thoughts? Where can they put their energy when they're, they're reading about all of these things that they need to do in order to succeed at achieving a physiological birth? including the idea that they need to identify who is out there that might actually affect them. I I actually describe them in the book as dementors. So 
obviously that came from Harry Potter, <laughs> but the idea that you've got people in your world that can try and consistently undo all of the work that you're trying to do. Do you have to avoid the dementors and stay well away from them? Or do you need to have really strong conversations and provide them with information that has helped you to discover your philosophies on birth? You haven't woken up thinking to yourself one day, oh, I'm going to have a physiological birth without understanding why you've come to that conclusion. So if planning a physiological birth is what you are planning and you've got access to information, you've read books like mine, you've got all of that, you can share that with the people that are important to you. So let's say it is a really close family member who can't for the you know the life of them, they can't let go of the fact that they're concerned you're planning a home birth, for example, then providing them with the information that helps them to understand why that's important to you might be the way forward or saying to them, I'm really sorry, but I need to stop seeing you for a little while because actually you're having a huge impact on my plans. And I'm confident that this is the birth that I want. And so therefore I'm just going to have to, you know, step away. Or maybe you've recognized you shouldn't tell anyone your plans at all. And that you're the kind of person that would just get so irritated by people telling you what they think you're doing is wrong, that you've decided from the outset, we're not telling anyone what we're doing. We're just going to tell them a completely different due date, which I advise anyway. <laughs> yeah. Um, tell them that, you know, you're, you're going to a different place to have a bit, whatever it is that you need to do. By unpicking your personality style, recognizing who you've got around you, who you trust and who you don't trust, you've then got the ability to handle what information you share with them in a way that suits you. Yeah, I've talked quite a few people actually that have decided not to share any of their plans for that exact reason that they knew that it would be, they'd, you know, try and be talked out of them or there would be some doubt there. So, yeah, I think. In that situation, it sometimes can be the safest thing, can't it? If you don't need help, you know, from them with other like childcare or anything like that, when you go into labour, then sometimes it can be quite a good option, can't it, to try and um, just protect yourself a bit from other people's opinions, which as well, they've not done as much research into it as you would have done, guaranteed. So often very misguided opinions as well. But education, yeah, always, always the way forward. So I'm sure you're not surprised that the third principle is to prepare your birth partner. <laughs> yep. And, you know, this is essential because your birth partner can literally make or break your birth experience. If you go in there with the wrong person or somebody that is underprepared or doesn't understand hormones, physiology and trust you and your body, then actually you're setting yourself up for a struggle with physiological birth in general, because if your birth partner is more likely to err on the side of doctor knows best, you're going to struggle yeah. because you have to know that they've got your back at all times. It doesn't mean they have much to do. Their role is simple. When it comes to physiological birth, there is very little that your birth partner needs to do at all. It's just a case that they need to understand 
that that is their role. And you need to understand how to allow them to do very little because there's no good feeling irritated if your partner is snoozing in a chair in the corner of the room because that irritation is going to shut down your birth progress. And you need to know that. You need to understand why that would happen if you became irritated by them. But if you gave them full permission to do very little, but to just be present, doulas call that being, not doing. If you give them that permission and you understand why that's so important to you in a physiological birth, then actually it's a win-win scenario. And when you do need them to pass you a drink or put a nice cold flannel on your forehead, then you need to say, have you got that flannel? Because they're not mind readers. They probably have never done a birth before. They may have been at your first birth or your second birth, if this is your third or fourth baby or whatever. But assuming this is your first birth, actually, they've never done this before. So talking to them about the kinds of things that you would like from them. And if you already know it would irritate you, for example, if they were on their phones, you can say to them, look, I have no problem with you not speaking, sitting quietly, doing nothing. But if you get your phone out, I'm literally going to struggle with that. So please don't, you know, these are the things, these are my boundaries. No to this, yes to this. And you can talk to them about the kinds of things that you want them to do and how you think you might feel about that. You might practice massage, for example. And then on the day, it doesn't feel right for you. And you can say to them, stop. You don't have to explain why. You can just literally say, in advance of the birth, if I tell you to stop, don't be offended, just stop, you know, because I don't know whether that's going to feel nice for me or not. But but practice them in the pregnancy. There's all sorts of different massage techniques in the book. There's different things that you can access. There's things in the journal additionally, or I've actually got some resources that you can print off from a link that comes with the book. So there's other things that you can figure out about the role of a birth partner how to have birth planning sessions in the pregnancy, how to ensure that you know the kinds of things you need to discuss with them in order for them to fulfill their role as your advocate, if that becomes necessary as well. Because you need someone confident if you are in a situation where um, an intervention perhaps is being recommended to you, you need someone there with you that understands why you've said no and how to completely advocate and say she said no if you continue to decline interventions that are offered to you in in any given scenario yeah that's a really good point I think yeah birth partners they need to understand it as much don't they as the person giving birth those hormones and how they work so that if you are saying I don't want you to be on your phone because it's going to interrupt my progress. They actually understand why and how that happens rather than thinking, you know, she's just being being picky. I mean, it would really irritate me if somebody was on their phone while I was in labor. It annoys me enough as it is, but it would annoy me a lot, I think, if somebody was um, was sat there on their phone. So, yeah, you can imagine how that can impact uh, impact your calm and what you're trying to do. So, yeah, that's a great one. And also, of course, you know, that your your first book on birth partners, that is such a key book for birth partners. And that really, I think from 
people I've recommended it to and feedback they've given me has helped them so much into mm-hmm. understanding what's happening and their role. So yeah, any kind of um, education that they can have on yeah their role and that, you know, birth as a whole is is essential, isn't it? Yeah, for sure. I did put the Protects tool. So my Protects tool from the um, first book is also in the second book because it was too important to miss out. I did, I couldn't have not put it in, but it's in a much, much, much more condensed version. So I still recommend if you've got one book to still get the other because yeah. they've got very different roles, the purpose of each book. Yeah. But the Protects tool yeah. is essential reading, I think, for all birth partners to understand exactly what key elements you can bring to your role. And uh, yeah, that tool, everyone raves about it and says how useful it was and to be able to use it in, in a labour and birth it is essential. So, So the fourth key principle is a bit thorny. It's the biggest chapter in the book and it's called Know Your Rights. Because at the end of the day, what people don't realise is that when they walk into a hospital or when somebody comes out to their birth or they attend a midwife-led unit, wherever it is, wherever the location of their birth is, the policies and the, the guidelines that are given by that care provider that's not law that isn't a law that you need to accept and go blindly into you know having their their recommendations their interventions of any kind you you don't have to walk into hospital and think that the doors are locked behind you and that you're in a jail if somebody tells you that you can't eat that's not true if you're being told that you have to have something that's a lie. You know, you don't have to have anything. Your your body is yours to say what happens. You get to decide what happens to your body or doesn't happen. So you have the right to say yes, please, or no, thank you. And this chapter really outlines all of that and covers in such great detail what you need to know in order to gain the confidence to say no. I've got so much information in here and cover, like I say, some thorny subjects. Like I've even got one on Stockholm Syndrome because I've spoken to pregnant women who have told me, or postnatal women in particular, who've said that they befriended their care provider from fear that they would do something to harm them if they went against what was being recommended to them. So what felt important was to make them like them. And that's pretty sad, isn't it? That's pretty scary. And whilst I don't think anyone listening to this, if you are a care provider, will be very happy with me talking about this, thinking, my goodness, that's a bit extreme. This is happening. Birth trauma is occurring. And People will behave like good girls in their labour and birth for fear of upsetting the person that is providing them with care and to make sure that they don't do anything to hurt them. And even if that's a conscious or a subconscious process, that is what's going on. So I I had not to interrupt you, but this this is really something that I can definitely relate to. One of my friends 
said this exact comment to me, I mean, a while ago now, but she she wanted to have an H back, so a, a home birth after cesarean. And um, the even though she, she'd also already had a successful V-back before that with her second child, and her consultant was really not on board with it, <laughs> which is probably no surprise. And I remember her saying that she didn't want to upset the consultant and it was kind of said in jest, but obviously it's it's something that is was going on for her and how she felt. She didn't want to upset the consultant in case if something did happen, the consultant didn't take care of her as she would have done prior. And you're yeah. completely right. And, you know, I, we talked about it and I think it was said lightheartedly, but obviously it isn't. It's a you know, quite a, a serious thing to feel that, feel that way and have those worries. Um, and of course, you know, you would hope with everything within you that that would never be the case, but you're right. It happens. And, you know, I've, yeah, I've, I've experienced it with somebody that I know well. Um, I'm sure it happens for, for many, many other people as well. Yeah, for sure. And I think that it's, it's important again, to look at yourself in the pregnancy and see what will I be like? I've recently put a post on Instagram saying you know not everyone finds it easy to say no yes or stop and so let's think of ways if you identify yourself as that type of person let's look at ways in the pregnancy that you can figure out how to say things to your care providers that don't feel conflicting to you that don't feel that you're offending them in any way and so I use the example of not right now to be able to smile and say, oh, thank you so much, but not right now. I I might have that in a little while, but at the moment I'm okay. Put it in your language. Do it in a way that feels right for you. You don't have to go in there being really firm and, and angry and saying, no, don't do this to me. Because, you know, you can be polite and nice and friendly, but you still don't have to accept procedures that you don't want. And I think one of the most important examples of this is vaginal examinations. I I work with so many um, women who I'll say to them in the pregnancy, if we sit there and you say to me, I, I'm not having a vaginal examination. And then when we arrive at the at the hospital and the midwife comes in and starts to say something, well, how will we know if you're in labor if we don't do a vaginal examination? And you then consent, I will check in with you and say, are you sure? You know, that, that wasn't what you said you wanted, but are you sure you've changed your mind? But ultimately, if you're doing it to please the midwife, how am I going to know that that's actually what you're doing here? We need to figure out a way of recognising the difference between something you're consenting to to because you've changed your mind. You actually do want to know what your cervix is doing and it would be useful information for you versus you just being polite and kind and not wanting to upset the person that's telling you, well, I need to know because they don't. Mm. What your cervix is doing does not tell you when your baby's going to be born. It doesn't provide you with any useful information whatsoever unless you're in a position where you need to make a decision. So if you're in the pool and you're saying you want an epidural 
and you're having to get out of the pool to go up to labor ward for that epidural, that might be a good time to have a vaginal examination to enable that decision to be made. Am I three centimeters? Am I six centimeters? Am I nine centimeters? Like, would that help that decision to be made in that moment? And are you the one asking for that information? Then it's a good time. But just because you've arrived at the hospital and somebody you've never met before wants to tick a box to say that they've done this particular examination that's in the guidelines, that's a no. That's a big fat no. I don't need to explain why. I don't need to give any reasons that that is my decision. But if saying no feels hard for you, either your partner needs to step up or you need to figure out a different way to get that message across because you've identified that is a struggle for you. So using different words like not right now, putting it at the very top of your birth plan so that upon arrival, it's clear it's at the top and you can say, oh, I'm really sorry. Can you refer to my birth plan or, or what? What do you need to do in order to not feel uncomfortable to say no to someone wanting to put their hand inside your genitals it's it's not something you have to consent to and as long as you understand that that's really really important so that's I think that's that's great advice about you know working these things out beforehand because you're right you you can as much as you think that you know I I want this I, I won't want this it's so different when you're actually in labor and obviously when you're in labor you're you're so vulnerable as well and you know, you might have been in labour for a while, so that might start to to cloud your your judgment and, and things like that. So having already, you know, come up with with an actual plan of how you're going to word things and say things is so helpful because it's so easy at the time to let go of everything because someone's saying this to you and, you know, this is happening and you've lost all track of what's going on. So having it set out is just so helpful and yeah, like really just really helpful advice. Yeah, definitely. I think um, these are so important. This is to me the part where physiological birth goes wrong. Yeah. You can have done all the preparation that you want, but this can disarm you. The conversations that you don't anticipate you'll be hearing the the words that come out of the mouths of your care providers without this level of preparation you can end up having your birth sabotaged your beautiful straightforward physiological undisturbed birth can be sabotaged by the slightest comment the slightest word the slightest indication that you may you know not be able to do this or you need to accept something you don't understanding all of this and having your partner understand it too is is really it is it is such a great part of of the journey to getting to achieve a physiological birth that i just think is again missing from so much of the standard education that's out there we know we teach it in our classes Mm. we know that we're giving that information across 
But we also know that we're only touching a small percentage of people and all the the other people out there that are going for the straightforward information aren't aren't receiving this this part of it. So I really needed this to be a chapter in itself. So the last one, which probably should have been the first, but needed (laughs) to be the last principle because I feel like you have to understand all the other elements before you get to this one is to trust your body. And this is essential because when the body is in charge, very little will go wrong. And this is the key part of physiological birth in general, is that if you can't trust your body and be in tune with your body and understand how the body and the baby dance their way together through the birth process, then I think you'd struggle with physiological birth in the first place. But really letting go of everything else and stepping into your body and allowing it to take over is is so, so important. And um, I think that one of the hardest parts is allowing your baby to come when it's ready and not chasing the labor. So you've heard me say this comment so many times. This is my mantra, you know, never, ever chase your labor. Understanding that is essential because if you try and bring on your birth, if you accept cervical sweeps, for example, thinking that it's supporting your baby to come out in a a much more timely fashion that's actually undoing all the physiological processes it isn't trusting the body and the baby enough to allow them to do their dance in their own way and in their own time and sadly some people will have longer labors than they would have preferred to some babies will need a little bit more time to align in the body but if you start the birth process from the outset resting, relaxing, hydrating, eating, sleeping, going through the whole thing with, I I call it plan for the long haul, with Mm -hmm. the idea that you are conserving your energy. You will always have enough energy to give birth. Your mind won't be destroying your energy trust because your thoughts whilst they might arise every now and again a little wobble a little niggle a little bit of doubt that comes up that's okay that's normal but the trust that you have and with all the other principles in place the trust that you have in yourself will win every time and you'll know that you can do this and that the people around you will remind you when those wobbles arise and they will be able to say you've got this and they'll give you another sip of water they'll give you another bite to eat they'll pop you on the toilet or help you remind you to go to the toilet every couple of hours to empty your bladder and then they'll snuggle you back down into your nest and help you to keep and conserve your energy all of that will help you all of your hormones will protect you everything about the journey that you're on will work its magic in producing oxytocin in abundance and helping if your baby isn't in the aligned position for example will help produce the right level of surges and contractions to move the baby when it's ready and 
when your hormones kick in at the end, when you get that huge surge of adrenaline to help evict your baby and push it out, you'll wake up regardless of how tired you are. You'll have more than enough energy to help get the baby out without you having to, again, think or do anything. And that trust that you have in yourself will help you so much. All the preparation that you can do in pregnancy to trust your body completely will be the best gift that you can give yourself in order to achieve a physiological birth. Yeah, no, that's that's great. That's And I think as well, like, you know, understanding, like you said, how things work and what's happening and, you know, that gives you some level of of trust doesn't it when you when you understand that those sensations that you're feeling are all part of this process that you've learned about and you understand and I think it's quite surprising and again it goes back to similar things that we've said about how many antenatal courses don't touch very heavily on those parts and on uh, you know I've I've had um, I mean I never did uh, any other kind of antenatal prep when I was pregnant other than hypnobirthing but uh, from people that I've spoken to they've said, oh, we never learned about the uterus and the set, like what it's doing and what the cervix is doing. And it feels like, I always say, surely it's like birth 101, <laughs> what, what your body's doing. How can you not, how can you do anything other than feel fear when you don't understand what's happening within your body? So yeah, trusting and understanding what's happening is is key, isn't it? To, to feeling comfortable and allowing it to happen. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Not chasing it, not trying to do anything other than allowing it to happen is really, really important because so many people will go, oh, I need to bounce on my ball or I need to rock and rotate in this position or I need to put my legs in that position because they've heard or read that that's optimal. But actually, if your body's not telling you to do something, well, actually, that isn't the right thing for you. And I I always give this example, if you've heard me before, You know, I've had a client where during her labor, she would put her right leg up on the edge of the sofa every time she felt a sensation coming. And after the birth, I said to her, you know, it's really interesting watching you do that. And she had no idea that that's what she was doing because instinctively she was clearly making more space on that side of her pelvis. And she didn't even realize she was doing it. But if I was stood beside her saying, every time you have a contraction, I want you to put your right leg in this position, that probably wouldn't be right for her. But she would be listening to me, not her body. And it's the same with a lot of these um, acronyms that you see online. Um, Knees in calves out is a perfect example of this. Because yes, a lot of people at the end of labor instinctively bring their knees in and take their ankles wide, but not everybody. And some people will flip onto their back at the end of birth because being on their back is the best position. That's exactly what I did. (laughs) I did that. I was not comfortable anywhere else. I've had clients say to me, crying, saying to me, but I was on my back and I was told that was the wrong position and that was really bad for the baby. And I was like, hang on, you flipped on your back and your baby was born. Yeah. What's bad about that? If you were laid on your back by someone else, 
strapped down by monitors and laid there for hours and hours on end. And then your baby didn't have the room to come out and was stuck and needed help. That's the bit we're talking about. That's not the same thing as somebody who instinctively moves into a position that facilitates birth. Yeah, totally. I, I often say, because it was my own personal experience where I couldn't I was not comfortable anywhere. And I was think, I think probably subconsciously I was trying to avoid laying down (laughs) just because of those reasons that you've just said, but in the end I did. And she was born really soon after. And I think, well, that's my body. That was my body's way of saying, this is where you need to be. You're not comfortable anywhere else. You, this is where you need to be. And then she was born. And that's such a important part to stress that don't overthink it. Just do what feels comfortable like go where your body feels comfortable and as you said if that is on your back that is okay that is your body telling you you need to be there you might need to be there for a reason yeah you're right there's loads of you know we can advise about birth position can't we and you know tips of of the kind of more more useful positions to be in but of course they're not going to work for everybody everyone's going to have their own you know their own positions that that are working best i had um i had somebody come on here actually and and share her birth story and it was a breech birth it was amazing it was su- such an interesting story and i remember her saying that she i, th- I think there was somebody taking photos or videoing um she wanted it videoed and she said when she looked back, she couldn't believe these positions she was in because she just didn't remember it. She was just, you know, getting into all these different types of positions because that's what felt comfortable and instinctive to her. Um, and I always I always remember that. I think probably because it was a, a breech birth as well, but I always think that is so, you know, it's just our body's way of, of doing it, which it can do, can't it? Definitely. And I've got loads of examples in the book. All throughout the book is I weave in stories, birth stories, people's experiences. I've also got chapters on birth plans and final preparations, which I think are really useful. Yeah. And it's worth me saying that if any of your listeners want to, they can access the first chapter for free. So I actually have the first chapter as a free download, and that's all about the three different types of birth. So you can find that on my link tree, which is um, on my Instagram page. So at the ultimate birth partner. It's it's also on my website. You can access that www.birthability.co.uk. I'll leave so, links. I'll leave links to both anyway. Okay, great. So you can you can read the first chapter for free and also the introduction. Um, so yeah, go ahead and and uh, yeah. see what you think because before you get into the principles, there's still quite a lot that you can learn um, about you know the the different ways to give birth and if yeah. physiological does end up being something that you are passionate about achieving you know learning these these key principles is essential because if you don't trust your body you're never going to manage it you're never going to be able to you know give birth in a way that will be free from all of the things that we know um we don't well in theory we don't need um but it end up becoming something we have and then look back on and, and often regret because we think to ourselves, well, you know, was my body broken? What? Why didn't? Why didn't my baby come out? Why did I need all of this extra help? And actually, it's often when you start to unpick and unravel it 
there's reasons why these things don't often work well. And, and these key principles about, you know, understanding the hormones, believing that your instincts know how to help you, your partner, your rights and your body all will, you know, support you to achieve the birth that you want, if that is what you want. No, that's great. Thank you so much. That's so useful. And as I said, I'll leave the links below and, you know, so that everyone can find you and you also have your own podcast, don't you? So I'll, uh, I'll list that as well. I know that people that listen to this, I know a fair few of them have told me that they also listen to your one. So uh, yeah, as much information as you can get is always, always advisable, isn't it? Listen to as many different uh, birthy podcasts as you can, because there's always going to be different information that you can consume, which is always really important but thank you so much it's been so useful and um yeah it's been lovely to talk to you again and congratulations on the book sounds like you've been working so hard they sound like the the journal and the book they sound amazing so yeah congratulations thank you thank you I, I am really proud of them and I'm, I'm grateful to have this extra resource out there which like I say I just feel it bridges the gap between you know standard antenatal education and actually the experience that people are having in the birth room so yeah, yeah it's called the art of giving birth five key physiological principles so look it up fab thank you so much Sally Ann thank you Claire thanks for having me <laughs> thanks bye, bye. Once again, thank you to Sally Ann for coming on and chatting to me. I will leave her details, her Instagram and a link to the book in the description as well. So you can go and check that out if you would like a copy. I just want to say that obviously, as always, course details and things like that are in the description. So please do check them out. I also have a buy me a coffee page if you feel like you've benefited from the podcast and from the content that's on it and you'd like to say thanks you can buy me a coffee which is a really lovely way to do it you can also leave a comment um, and I also really always appreciate that and finally if you are loving the podcast I'd really appreciate you rating and reviewing it either on Apple or on Spotify it really helps other people find it so it helps it become more visible for others but also it's just really helpful for me as well because then I get a really good idea of the things that people are enjoying and it's it's lovely to see as well so I would really appreciate that if you wouldn't mind doing that as well I will see you in two weeks time with what is going to be the last episode of this season and then there'll be a short little break and then we'll be back again for season six so thank you so much and I will speak to you soon bye